Hello, and welcome to Property Matters, a weekly look at all matters property designed to be of interest to anyone who has an interest in property. And Property Matters is supported by Fairview International Property Consultancy and auctionproperty.co.uk. As you know, each week we look at the big property stories of the week and chat from time to time to a variety of property professionals. So please get involved with the conversation wherever you're watching us today. And we have a new email address which is on the screen now, hello at propertymatterstv.co.uk. And of course, we have a brand new website as a result of that too, where you can look, watch this week's show, you can watch the podcast or listen to the podcast and also catch up on previous episodes of the show. And if you'd like to uh, take a look at the podcast, you can also get it on your favourite podcast platform, all of which are shown on the screen there. Simply go to your favourite app and type in propertymatterstv.co.uk. So joining me as always, our property professional, it's Joe Joshi. Good morning and welcome to Property Matters. Uh, of course, you know, we like to bring all the current uh, and up-to-date news and Paul likes to do his tests every week on me, so I'm sure I've got another test to run. Um, but interesting stuff, and uh, especially for new home developers um, and, and things in the in the leasehold market. So uh, let's just uh, crack on and see where we go. Well, of course, it is the uh, turn of a month. We're into the brand new month of July, and that means every month that uh, Zoopla released their UK house price index. This is the data for May of 2022. Current house price growth is 8.4%. Demand for homes on the five-year average, the four weeks to the 26th of June versus the five-year average, up 40%. So we're still way above where we would expect to be if we were looking at a five-year average. And the flow of new supply is plus 4%. So what there's a suggestion in this month's figures, Joe, is that uh, people are thinking that maybe the market is starting to peak. There's a suggestion from some of the professionals that the market will be seen as April being the end of the big flurry to get into um into selling a property and that this will be now the tailing off with interest rates changing and the cost of living crisis and so on. So the suggestion is that more and more people think, you know, I better get my property on now before it gets too late and there's a recession in property and I won't be able to sell. So new supply is starting to come forward as people panic to sell, but it's still very much a seller's market. Plus four point, uh, sorry, 8.4% is, uh, is quite an amazing number when you think against other investments or potentially your own savings that you've got sitting in a bank or what have you. So property is still doing uh, fairly well and 40% uh, over a five year. I mean, where, where are you going to get that growth? It's just unbelievable, really. Um, and yes, of course, um, people are thinking that the supply will um, you know, become more popular and of course, demand will become lesser. And this will be a regional thing, in my, in my opinion. I think you'll find that there's going to be um, some areas that um, are, are not going to grow. And most of that supply and demand is going to be probably in the property buy-to-let market rather than the people actually um, living and actually ownership and where their home is going to be because most of that's settled down, but that will never change with job changes, family circumstances, financial changes, etc. People will continue to um, put their house on the market and sell and move to or readjust because of other things, not because of the the uh, the driver in the marketplace and, and the fact that you know, we're all running with this idea of this is going to be the best time to sell or this is the worst time to sell. Uh, the, the worst time, the worst thing is for, I suppose, for um, uh, the buy-to-let market where if things aren't renting or they're not up to date, they're not up to scratch, property needs modernizing, they haven't got the money to invest, 
and so forth, those may be the ones that might come to the market and, and shift. So there will be a shift of type of stock, I think, um, <clears throat> rather than the, you know, the, the, the domestic market where people are actually moving because they need to move or, or their, their circumstances have changed. And I appreciate that <clears throat> the current, um, uh, you know, the situation with all the utilities going up and interest rates going up and, of course, uh, nonetheless, uh, cost of living going up. Um, but for some some amazing reason, uh, it, it hasn't created such a disruption as one would have thought it would have done um, only on the basis that I think most people kind of always taken it on the chin and accepted it. Nothing else they can do. Of course, there are people out there who are going to challenge that. And I'm, I'm, I'm with them, well, obviously, to try and get this thing out of the way. But generally, when you think about it, historically, there would have been a time when people are just gone crazy, you know, road blockages and, you know, fuel prices and so forth. And it hasn't really had that impact, even though there's been some demonstrations in London uh, for the, the cost of living. I'm just saying it doesn't it doesn't seem to have had that impact in the whole marketplace. Maybe it's just because we're, where I've seen it or where I, what I've seen, but it just doesn't feel that that's what's been doing. So the house prices that are, are, are progressing and doing the work, you know, the numbers that they are for, uh, are still showing good signs of, of it being the right thing to do. It's very interesting how it's such a regional market. It's very different in different parts of the country, as you alluded to. The southwest remains most buoyant. It's just 19 days to sell uh, between the listing and the offer accepted. And Bristol, South Gloucestershire, Plymouth, Swindon, Exeter, all really fast moving as if there's been no cost of living crisis or any interest rate rises. London, on the other hand, UK's slowest moving market now taking 35 days to sell compared to 22 as the national average. But that's still way above the May five-year average, which was 50 days. And what's interesting is if you look at Wales and London being at opposite ends of the house price growth, so 11.5% nearly in, in Wales, 4% pretty much in London, just to round the figure off. But despite that disparity, it's about the same amount of money. The average value in Wales are up 32,000 over the last two years uh, to an average of 192,500. Well, that contrasts to 30,000 in London, where the average house price is now 516,100. So despite the levelling up agenda, there's, there's not a lot of levelling up going on across the country, it seems. No, and that will always be, as you say, regional. It is. It's about the demand and, and of course, the supply. And London is the bright, bright lights. There is a lot of attraction to London. And, of course, uh, increase in prices in London are, are quicker and more often and change of hand is more often as well uh, because it's a fluid market. People come and go all the time, whereas places like Wales, People tend to settle down, and and it's, it's almost it's not an investment market. It's more like a uh, you know a domestic market where people go and sit, settle down, kids go to school, etc. Family situation. So there will always be the um, the differences of why the the change. What's interesting there is is the the time for conveyancing that is taken, and um, you know when you look at the time it's taken for conveyancing uh, at the peak of the pandemic um, time. 50 odd days to get a transaction through it just goes to show what the market was doing at that time even in a, in a difficult time the market was so busy that people especially uh, from the conveyancing side everything was just taking too long because it was just they weren't prepared for it and also everything was out of sync there were not people working in offices there were people working from home and they're trying to do you know all sorts of juggling in order to make it happen 
But what really, the point I really want to make is that look how much of a difference it can make when they do get their act together, bring it down to 20 or 22 days uh, in a transaction. And, and historically, moving a home transaction through conveyancing is the longest stretch you can have. I mean, it takes three to, three to four months just to get that process through. When I know that when we do the transactions as an auctioneer in auction, we know that we can actually get you know, legal packs put together probably within a week um, and sold within you know, four or five weeks and completed in another four or four, in four or five weeks. So you know, the system just needs to be sorted out as far as the, the conveyancing side is concerned, which I think is pretty archaic. Um, and, um, and that will speed the process. And maybe that will also help um, the, the situation with house prices and the, the want so that people are not waiting for the longevity. Because what happens is we have a lot of longevity in the transaction and people change their mind and say, okay, I've decided I don't, don't want to move, I don't want to sell, I don't want to buy, I can't afford to buy, I've fallen out, something's happened. And so everything goes back to square one. If that process was actually a bit faster, maybe we wouldn't have that time to think about the changes. The cost of living is having a big impact on all of this slowdown that's uh, gradually starting to happen because buyers are now much more price sensitive because they know that they're going to have to keep more money uh, aside for the mortgage payments. They're now facing average rates of 3.37% for a five-year fixed rate home loan now. That was compared to 2.64% in December on a 250000 loan with a 25% deposit. Uh, which is an annual cost in the loan increase of £870. Uh, so they're having to find an extra £870 a year for the mortgage uh, payments. They've got to find a 25% deposit um, and their rates are up um, almost, uh, well, almost a percent. That's probably going to drive the market into neutral as time goes on, just so that people can sort of gather their thoughts, put their deposits together and maybe look at the structure. On the other side, of the, the flip side of the coin is that people should probably consider talking to their mortgage advisor and, and maybe looking at what other deals that there are available for them where they can actually maybe fix that over the next five years um, because things will change in the next five years and, 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 and whether that will go you know, north or south, we don't know that um, because obviously the government still has a few years before it needs to sort of come up for election and we don't know who's going to come in and what changes will happen. So it's a good time because they'll sit down with your mortgage advisor um, and basically see what deals are out there in order to maybe do a fixed rate for the next five years so that you've got a, a plan. Um, and, and this sort of continuing rise in the cost of living, you can actually almost assist yourself by saying, OK, well, at least I know that's fixed. Um, and, and so there are other things, and especially utilities. I mean, they're just going out of order now. I mean, petrol prices are just ridiculous. I mean, it, you know, um, two, it's pretty much £2 a litre across the board now. Yeah, I had to pay £2 in tuppence the other day. The tuppence tells me how old you are, Paul. <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Looking at the, uh, the five-year mortgage fixes, they're saying if another basis point goes on, Joe, to take it to 4.62%, that would equate to an annual cost of a mortgage repayment would climb by 2,500 compared to December of last year. So people have got to be really careful, haven't they, about uh, working out what they can afford as these rates start to uh, to rise, I think the the way you've got to look at this is this is, is this is your notice for the next six months. You know, when your expansion happens at Christmas time, you need to be ready for what what is about. This is this is your warning as the, your six months warning of potentially 
um, the market and the cost and all of these other things that will affect you around the Christmas time period towards the end of the year when things will probably be a little bit more challenging because of where we are going to end up. Um, and and that's, the, that's the hurt time because that's your family time. People haven't had um, over the last two, three years, you know, connections with their families and so forth through COVID and, and not had people around. And of course, about, talking about COVID, it seems to be, you know, reaching new numbers again. So just you've got to be careful in what we do and how we sort of plan it. But uh, consider this, I suppose, is your six months notice of what potentially, and I'm not saying it's going to be a, a downturn or it's going to be a crash or anything like that, just that you've got to equate and uh, it, it take into consideration all these costs that continue to come through will actually, you know, um, come to roost uh, uh, by Christmas, I reckon. Um, so you just got to make sure that you're you're prepared for that. The suggestion is that because we've got such a healthy employment market and buyers are thinking, well, if I get a five-year fix, probably in five years' time, rates will be sensible again. Petrol prices, cost of living crisis will be over. So there's still a lot of um, maybe misplaced optimism. Um, you know, you always want to be optimistic, obviously, but you can see why people are thinking, well, you know, it's a good employment market at the moment. I'm likely to be able to get a job even if I have to change jobs. Um, and I've got a five-year fix to protect me. So people aren't, aren't too worried. But um, interesting to see that they're thinking that prices will be down to, well, the rises for this year will end the year at about plus 3%, despite the fact we're on 8% at the moment. So that suggests there's going to be quite a downturn in price increase, although there'll still be an increase, it'll only be 3%. And it's interesting to note that year on year to June, sales agreed are down 13%. So much less houses are being sold year on year right now than there were a year ago. I say in our business, we have to do um, 12 months work now pretty much in six months because when you actually break the year down, Paul, um, if you allow for bank holidays, holidays, school holidays, um, and every other reason why people may or may not want to be in, in either work or, or do things, you end up sort of bringing it down to almost half a year. Um, and so we're going into that part of the year where uh, school holidays are going to happen. The summer holidays are about to, you know, hit that couple of weeks time. People are going to be on summer holidays. That takes July, August, early September out of the equation because the focus really isn't on moving. The focus is, you know, your kids at home and you, you've got planned to do with whatever you've got to do with them. So all of that is part of the, 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 the scale that will make sure that we have a, not a, a, an out of downturn, but there will be a downturn in activity, which then normally traditionally rises back in sort of mid-September, October, potentially a bit of November, and then December, January, leading up to February. So, you know, there are many other things that other factors that take into consideration actions, but that affect the property market and, and people's views about moving. And of course, the current situation with the cost of living and the Ukraine war, which seems to have sort of just gone out of out of uh, reach, we thought we thought it should be done and dusted by now, but it seems to be sort of expanding. So we've got to consider all of those things that we'll do. Um, and and so yes, the, our graph, you know, your graph there will start to show those things involved as well, um, and we've got to take that, that into consideration. For the benefit of those uh, listening to the podcast, there's a graph on the screen at the moment that shows prices that have gone up consistently since September uh, 2018 and then if you look at January 2022 
this is for the first time in three three years, best part of, um, you're seeing the rate of increase slowing. Um, the interesting point is though, how can prices be rising at such an extent, Joe, when there's a cost of living squeeze? And the suggestion is that that's basically a supply chain disruption. Property listings are rising as more sellers sense the market is peaking, but it will take time to filter through into prices. And the, the suggestion is the experts are saying UK prices to end the year at plus 8% before calming down further in 2023 to 3% um, as supply and demand rebalance and the higher mortgage rates increase and put the brakes on everybody. But uh, there is that blind optimism at the moment, perhaps. The housing market or property market is a market that will continue to have that, that yo-yo. Um, but there are uh, factors that are taken into consideration to get that yo-yo going. Um, and one of them is, of course, the, the supply and demand situation. And when you think about the last three years and the numbers that it actually has risen in three years, you know, you could say, well, what did the pandemic do for the property market? Well, actually, um, look at the return on their investment, whether it's investment in property, or whether it's investment in their home through the fact that they've upgraded or, or, or added things or done extensions or whatever there because they've had time to be at home. They've only added to that. And now that time is, you know, over for what it's worth. And people are focused uh, on other other parts of their life. And so there may be a situation where that, that's going to slow down, but it's still not slowing down to a halt. Um, and even if it's 8% uh, now and 3% overall throughout the year, it's still you know, a good return on, on their uh, investment or on their property. So, and that is what drives people to continue to want to be in property and, and invest in property uh, in every possible way. I mean, you know, I, I, I've been on a couple of events this week and everyone pretty much is like, you know, I'm looking to buy, I'm, I'm looking to do this, I want to do this. And, and so there's no let up in the demand. Um, there might be a little bit of a let up in the supply and that supply might be coming, but it's all different types of supplies. It's not just your domestic residential flats or houses. It's also supplies in opportunities, opportunities for developers, opportunities for people that want to step into um, long term rental uh, business so that they can buy a block of flats perhaps or something like that so there's there's other types of demands that you know we have to take into consideration as well our next story it was an important day the 30th of june the government's ban on charging ground rent on new leases in england and wales came into force on the 30th anyone from that date buying a home on a new long lease will now be freed from the annual costs. Landlords are banned from charging ground rent to leaseholders under a new law that the government hopes will lead to fairer, more transparent ownership uh, for thousands of home buyers, helping to level up opportunities for more people. In preparation, many landlords had already reduced their ground rent to zero for home buyers, starting a new lease with them. Now, this is all good news, but it doesn't in many people's eyes go far enough, does it, Joe? Because it's only for new leases. It doesn't apply yet to existing leases, which is a shame. Uh, you're absolutely right, right Paul. It, it doesn't go back uh, in, in a retrospect way of all the older leases. Um, it, you know, those are as they are, um, but there always has to be a line where you can draw because if you go back and open this can of worm for uh, retrospect re leases, the only beneficiaries on that is going to be the legal system because they can spend years and months fighting over a few words. Um, and, and you're going to end up paying for it. So it's probably better not to sort of get involved in that too much. But going forward, 
Um, I think it's great news for, uh, for new home uh, owners. Um, and of course, developers will have to take on board that they can no longer put ground rents on it and they have to consider a 990 year lease uh, from minute go because there's just no benefit of them actually doing so. But it's going to put a hole in a certain market. There is a market out there from, uh, from an auctioneer's point of view where people would buy ground rents um, as a long term investment. Um, of course, that will not happen to, to some extent the new ones. It also means that um, the good news for leaseholders is, of course, they become almost in control. In fact, they become in control of their destination, their future, by being a 990-year lease. Um, and so subsequently, uh, really not being answerable to a person that is the landlord of the ground. So in all, in all honesty, it's not even worth becoming a landlord in, 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 with a 999-year lease, because all you're doing is being an administrator. Now, the ground rent, the amount of that is what will actually end up being paid in a different way. So, you know, don't, you know, don't, there's more than one way to skin a cat here. And this is what they'll do. They're, what they'll do is they'll say, like, well, I'm not going to get my ground rent. But what I'll have to do is my administration charges, my service charges and all the other charges, that money will go elsewhere. So I think what they really should have just done is that, look, you bring the ground rent to, to, to like a peppercorn rent, you give them a long lease. And, you know, hey presto, but by saying they can't charge ground rent, what they haven't said is you can't charge service charges and you can't charge administration costs and so forth. So that 200 pounds, 150 pounds, 50 pounds, whatever that ground rent was, is still going to get paid. It's just going to get paid in a different form. Um, but the good news is that, of course, you get a longer lease out of it. The older leases, the, the, the ones that you are, so that's the market that will expand probably. And if people buy those properties, they will allow for the cost of, ex of extending that lease. So if you have a lease uh, of 99 years on a previous property and you're now down to about 60 years on it, you know, the chances are you will have to pay anything between 15, 20, 30, 35,000, depending where you are, um, in order to, and to the landlord to be able to renew that lease to a, a newer lease, modern lease. However, um, you know, you've got to take into consideration. Um, so when, when somebody buys that, they will allow for that costing to happen. The government also want to bring in a, um, a, uh, a calculator um, that allows people to sort of calculate what a landlord should be able to charge, depending on the time and term left on the old lease in order to make sure that they could do that. So there's, there's a lot of changes in that. but. Um, for new people, first time buyers and, and investors on new development, which may help new developments sell um, better, there will be no ground rent uh, and longer leases. Yes, it's worth uh, having a really thorough check of all that paperwork if you're entering into a leasehold agreement, certainly these days. But the one thing, of course, that you can see and uh, as a problem, and if I was an existing leaseholder pay paying ground rent, I wouldn't be very happy after this news of June the 30th because you can see they're still obliged to pay their existing rents. And in some of these cases, as we, we remember, and this is why this legislation has been brought in, because some of these ground rents were doubling every 10 years. And that's still the case for some of those people. Nothing on there has changed. So when they attempt to sell those properties, those ground rents are going to prove really unattractive to buyers who've now got an option of purchasing a rent-free leasehold property. So they're going to be very hard to sell those with those kind of ground rents, aren't they? 
I think that calls for a, a, a call back to the landlord and renegotiate that lease or have an addendum to it, um, have it amended accordingly. Um, you know, and again, landlords have got to see sense, otherwise they're going to have disgruntled and probably potentially uh, properties that may become into possession because people just say, well, if I can't sell it, I'll hand the keys back to the bank and the building society and long may the building society and the landlord be happy together. Um, and um, and so they won't sell. So they'll have to come to the table and say, OK, look, this 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 lease that had a automatic 10 year renewal um, is now going to be an automatic fixed for the you know remainder of the, the term or we create a new lease um, at this point and, and, and therefore, you know, draw a line under what was old and what can be new. And the new lease, of course, will become a long uh, lease. Uh, at 999 years or 990 years and of course there'll be no ground rent going forward and then they'll have to think about the um, the service charge process so and and that that uh, 10 year renewal is not just about the ground rent call it's also all the others the service charges etc and yes some of the flats that I've been you know sent to have a look at in London apart from them having the issue um, with the uh, cladding they have this issue of, you know, reoccurring new costs of ground rent every 10 years. And the whole thing is just, you know, people are just willing to say, okay, well, look, let's just give it back to them because by the time I've paid the lawyers to argue about it, I'm just, I mean, it's just minus, minus, minus all the way through, it's not worth it. Um, so at some stage, they're gonna have to come to the table, I think, and say, look, let's get sensible about this. And we need to uh, make sure that the um, um, the ground rents are adjusted accordingly. In closing on that one, really, I suppose it's really check all the paperwork when you're looking at a leasehold property. Make sure that you uh, do your due diligence and make sure you know what you're signing up to, I think. So moving on to our final story of the week. We mentioned last week that uh, a holiday let might be something that would be of interest in terms of if you were investing some of your cash in something that might be an alternative to a buy-to-let. Well, hold your horses. We did actually hint at this because uh, there was a piece in the Mail Online last week that said the government was looking at uh, regulating the industry and this week it's come out with the details of what it's going to do. So the government is going to look at this and uh, it's asked for submissions from any interested parties and the suggestion is that they're considering a kind of registration kite mart scheme with spot checks for compliance on things like gas safety, a self-certification scheme for hosts to register with before they can operate so that they know who these people are. But what was interesting, Joe, is that despite the fact that people are putting their properties in increasing numbers on Airbnb, the average income from one of those properties is just 3100 a year, which probably just covers the mortgage, I would imagine, if indeed it has a mortgage. But it's not a lot of money, is it, that they're making? So that suggests that there's very not, not many days that it's actually rented and lots of voids. Now, Airbnb led the market by creating this new um, opportunity for people to be able to do holiday lets, short-term lets. And I think it's a great idea, don't get me wrong. I think we used to get a lot of demand from people who say, look, I'm only, I only want to rent for a couple of weeks or a couple of months and I don't want the hotel environment. I want my own place to be able to do certain things you know, how to just relax, watch the telly, do my own thing. And so Airbnb came along and fulfilled that little gap. 
What's then happened, of course, is that people have thought, oh, hang on a minute, this is a quick way to make a few, you know, a bit of, bit of money on short term. But what you have to take into consideration is the void periods. Um, there are more void, and this is a regional and seasonal situation. Um, not everywhere is Airbnb a successful point. And so therefore you must think, take into consideration whether it works for you in those particular places. So for example, let's take London. London is a good place for an Airbnb, but you will find that some landlords just do not like Airbnb and is part of the lease and part of the, the, the letting agreement that you cannot rent out on a short term to Airbnb or any other operation of that sort. The reason for it is that they are uh, high net worth clients that live in those properties that do not want disruptive people in and out of uh, the flats next door where, you know, because they're only there for a day or two or three or five, or whatever it is. Um, and they'll just come in and out and the doors banging and they just don't want that. So they just made it very clear that certain blocks and certain properties is a no-go zone. Then you've got the regional places. So the coastal ones like your Cornwalls, your Devons and so forth, um, they are popular for Airbnb because families want to go and take their family holidays and prefer not to be sitting in a hotel um, because that, that is a, a, an expensive way and it's also not a kind of a fun way. So that's where the Airbnbs are probably popular. But you have to remember that that's a seasonal thing. The sun doesn't always shine in England. Um, and um, so you have to remember that, you know, not everyone's going to go to those places all the time. And then you've got to balance out whether Airbnb is right for you or a long term lettuce right for you. Um, and as you say, Paul, look at the amount they're actually making in, 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 in the whole time. You actually probably could be in a worse situation unless, of course, you are in the absolute remote area where there is no reason for anyone to you know, rent the place other than for the short term because of the views are great or the beach is great or whatever those circumstances are. So doing Airbnb is very much a horses for courses situation and every investor should really think about what they're investing and not rely on what Airbnb can do for their, their, their business model um, as such because you know, unless of course they are going to live in it for six months themselves and then rent it out for six months for Airbnb and they it doesn't you know, financially it doesn't matter um, but it is something that you've got to think seriously about um, in terms of Airbnb. There's two sides to this isn't there because the tourism minister Nigel Huddleston has said that we've seen a huge growth in the range of holiday accommodation over the last few years thanks to Airbnb. Housing Minister Stuart Andrews says holiday lets um, like Airbnb have helped boost tourism across the country. So some of the places which were not perhaps well so well known for tourism have, through Airbnb, got lots of options for a short-term stay. So people go and visit a city that might not have been a, a, a normal tourist visit because there's a, a a nice option to go and stay for a few days. And I've, obviously we know that Edinburgh is probably the Airbnb capital of the UK uh, with so many Airbnbs. But the other side of it, which is what the government's looking at, is is this uh, ownership of property let on Airbnb, which, as we've just seen, is void for so many days of the year, preventing people from having somewhere to live in their own town because the properties that are likely to be let on Airbnb are the sort of smaller flats, maybe, or small houses that first-time buyers are going to be able to afford because they're just going to be places as a bolt hole where people can stay when they're visiting. 
Yes, I mean, the type of properties are always um, a telling story. And like you say, when you talk about Edinburgh, you know, the capital of Airbnb, is because uh, the demand for that culture is there. And so is, you know, perhaps places like um, London. But the investment of, of uh, smaller properties are the investment that both uh, investors look at, be it a first-time buyer or a buy-to-let landlord who may find that he's got a handful of properties that are becoming Airbnb. The other thing I would like to point out that, you know, it's not all a bed of roses, in all honesty. Airbnb has its own involvement far, far extensive than you can ever, ever imagine. Every day you have to provide, like a hotel, new linen, new changes, a cleaner, all of those things got to come into the equation. And actually, when you take that into equation, the question you have to ask yourself is, does it make it worth my while to do that? Or after every let, every one that's been there for maybe a day or two, you've got to send in a team of people to go and clean it up, change the, the linen, change the towels, do whatever you've got to do, just like they do perhaps in a hotel. Um, so it depends on how many weeks and months you rent it for. And then when you look at the cost of actually putting it together and the time it takes you to do it, unless of course you're going to do it yourself, but even your time has to have a value on it as to say, well, I'm going to go there, you know, three times this week to change the, the bedding, take it down to the laundrette, get it all washed and ironed and put back together. And so, so it's just, you know, you've got to think there's more activity, more work involved in doing that than it is just in an ordinary let. Um, but yes, it does affect all of those and the demand for the first time buyers. And it's another section that the first time buyers has another challenger on. Not is it just for buy to let, but obviously buy to do Airbnb. Um, and of course they are fighting with that, that those buyers who might pay a little bit more than perhaps the first time buyer would, who's trying to get onto the first round of the ladder as far as their home is concerned. Airbnb's done its own research and in that research, 72% of people told them that it's green tourism in its green tourism report that the environmental benefits of home sharing played a role in their choice to travel using that platform. In other words, the fact that they didn't have to go to a hotel, they didn't like the hotel environment, the fact that there was a house there that they could, they could use and there was sort of green uh, credentials to that. Um, but uh, what was uh, interesting is that the, um, the government obviously have called for evidence um, and they point to the fact that in other countries such as Portugal, if you want to rent your house out to guests and providing guest accommodation in Portugal, you must register electronically before you do so. Greece requires anyone renting out their home to, to paying guests to register and in parts of Ireland designated as rent pressure zones, hosts are only allowed to short-term let their primary residence after having registered. So it seems that, you know, this sort of thing has already come in in other parts of, uh, of, of the UK uh, and Ireland and indeed in Europe. So I guess it's, it's on its way inevitably.
I think it's true that eventually all of these industry disruptors get regulated. Uh, you look at Uber and now Airbnb, and the sweet spot would have been 2017 to 2018 with Airbnb because they saw a 33% increase in that year uh, in listings. So that was probably the time, the sweet spot to have been there <laughs> in a deregulated marketplace. But looks like things are going to change. But you can see why that's going to happen. And there's concerns on both sides, particularly in those rent pressure zones you know, like the Salcombs in Devon and the places we highlighted last week, whereby, you know, you, you could find that literally the place is a dormitory town and no one that can uh, that was born there can 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 live there. And that's where the government is always going to have its say, isn't it? It is a little bit um, unfair that you get priced out of your town because it's a popular location and people that have the money come in. So Londoners will go into places like Salcombe and so forth and buy buy the town out because they might actually be there for, I don't know, two two weeks, five weeks, six weeks of the year maybe, and the rest of the time is lying empty, um, or it's going to be Airbnb, or it's not going to be Airbnb. But in the meantime, that property is, is off the market for people that live there, who actually genuinely want to live there because that's where the, their, their life has been, their families, they can't invest, so they end up investing and buying in neighbouring towns, perhaps where they're not really happy to buy. So from that point of view, yes, I can see why the government sort of steps in um, and tries to sort of steer people not to buy there. But at the end of the day, if it's up for sale, it's going to be bought. It's a question of who buys it and no one stops anybody buying it. If it's not within their reach to buy it, then they're not going to buy it. It's just one of those things of supply and demand. You can't direct people to say what you can and what you can't. We live in a, you know, a democratic world, a democratic country where, you know, if, you, if you've got the money to buy it and you want to buy it, you're going to buy it. It's as simple as that. Um, and yes, the government can bring in laws and, and demands and so forth. But, you know, what they say, they are made to be bent, but perhaps not broken. So they'll always find a way that it is. And I remember having this very discussion with somebody who was living in Jersey, for example. Now, Jersey is a place where you cannot buy or sell uh, a property unless you are a resident or been, you know, someone that has lived on the island for X, Y, Z years. You just can't buy there. But, you know, they created companies, they created offshore vehicles, they, they found a way that they felt that they could buy something as they do elsewhere in the world. So where there's a will, there's always going to be a way. They make a very good point, actually, Airbnb. They say, uh, to be effective as we move forward, policymaking must acknowledge that not all forms of tourism are created equal and not all accommodation providers are the same. There's a big difference, they say, between buy-to-let speculators and hosts who occasionally share their homes on Airbnb to afford the rising cost of living. People who host in their home represent a category of accommodation providers who differ fundamentally from both property speculators and hotels and rules should be proportionate to the activity provided. It's a fair comment. Absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, like I said, it, it just depends on where it's going to be. And you don't want to be out, um, ousted, perhaps out of your own town um, in, in many cases. Um, and so those rules will apply. But like I say, again, if somebody wants to buy something somewhere, Paul, they'll find a way that it's going to work for them uh, or there'll be a rule that allows them to do X, Y, Z. So, you know, step up. And as soon as the opportunities are there, people should step up to buy um, as, as quick. And this is where the bank of mum and dad always comes into it, doesn't it? So if you've got somebody that lives there, who's got the investment, you see a property you want to live in, uh, in that area, you don't want to make sure that uh, an outsider comes in and, and starts to do Airbnb, 
then you're just going to have to step up and buy it and, and try and work that way. They say the typical entire home listing is rented for around just two days a month. Four in five UK hosts share only one listing and around a third say the additional income helps them afford the rising cost of living and make ends meet. One in five work in either education, healthcare or hospitality. Nearly two thirds of them are women and one in five is over 60. It's an interesting profile. Very interesting profile um, in terms of, you know, who are going to be there. Um, but, you know, people build towards that and, and also not every one of those are able to own their own properties as well. And some of them are probably saying, I've had enough of my own ownership. I just want to be there short term because I'm not going to be there um, all the time. I'll move I'll move around. So um, it's quite, quite important that they become analytical about the type of persons that are going to be there and of course it is all of the um, government workers there you know uh, doctors and you know nurses and so forth um, and they're driven by the demand in in those areas but those are also changing as time goes on you know because you know new centers are opened new ways of, of uh, providing that service more online pro products are available so I mean, it's, you could almost get analysed online with a doctor now. So sooner or later, you know, you'll probably have that coming along as well. So that's the way it will go. So there we must wrap it up, Joe. Just a, a reminder that we have our new website, www.propertymatterstv.co.uk. You can watch the episode live there every Sunday now. You can also watch it uh, back after the event. And you can also watch anything from, I think it's September of last year, on the website. So you can binge watch to your heart's content. You'll also find the podcast there as of 10 o'clock tomorrow. It's always 24 hours after the Sunday show at 10 o'clock. And indeed, you can find them on your favourite uh, platform as well. So please enjoy the show wherever you can and whenever you can. And Joe, we'll see you again next week.